probably pretty much all. Some more things like Catcher in the Rye, things like that. You know, I'm hoping probably pretty much all the Shakespeare stuff. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Can't understand it. <laughs> Interestingly enough, according to GQ, the Bible is ranked number 12 in that list. It's irrelevant, according to them. It's unnecessary. There's some good parts, but it's really not all that good. And I read that, and you know, you get a good chuckle. <laughs> you do. But certainly it does press in right here for a moment. And you're like, huh. And then the Lord brought to mind a story that I'm, I'm sure some of you have heard before that Pastor Jim has shared and uh, at various times, but I, I've, I found it very, very, uh, I was somewhere, and it was one of those aha moments. And the story goes like this, uh, I'm guessing somewhere in the vicinity about 40 plus years ago, uh, my mother's first cousin, my second cousin, I believe, um, had uh, a terrible drug problem. Uh, had acquired um, hepatitis as a result from, I guess, dirty needles, things like that. He's lying in uh, his hospital bed, very sick. And um, my grandfather, Ken Masterman. Oh, don't ask me where that came from. My granddaddy went to visit him, He'd been his uncle. Sit on the edge of the bed and was just sharing with him and sharing with him about... Uh, you know, had brought his Bible and shared with him about the Bible. And, I, and I'm supposing Brian, my cousin, kind of looked at him and said, look, I've read that thing. I've known what's in it, and it hasn't done a whole lot. And my grandfather just looked at him in some God-given wisdom and simply said, hey, that's great um, that you know what's in here, but do you know the author? Do you know the writer? Do you know who it is? that spoke through many men down the years to compose what has become. And I sat there and I thought about this foundation. And I sat there and I thought about this GQ article and I thought, hey, that's all right. They could have read it front to back, back to front, middle, sideways, upside, downside. If you don't know the author, it's a book of foolishness. I mean, come on. Come on, we serve a Savior that was born that didn't have a dad. Yeah. He was alive. Well, how is he alive? There was no earthly dad. And then he gave himself up for people that hated him? What kind of foolishness is this? You go back to the Old Testament, God put up with people, he called them his people, and they, do, they, they did hardly anything to devote themselves to him, hardly did anything to serve him, yet he gave everything up for them. It's a book of foolishness, isn't it? But then you meet the author. If you would with me, just for a couple minutes, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3. I was reading this with my kids the other night, and it has stuck with me. It struck me. Um, in this particular couple of verses, First um, Samuel chapter three, and have children. Uh, of course, follows up from dear lady Hannah, who was unable to have children. Goes before the Lord at the temple, thanks the Lord 
for giving her a child, giving her a son. She was desperate. She said, I will give him to you when he is born, when he's weaned. And the Lord, through Eli the priest, answered her prayer. She did become pregnant. She did have a son. His name was Samuel. And just as she declared, as soon as he was weaned, she took him to the temple for, uh, to minister there before the Lord. So let's look at chapter 3. Is everyone there for Samuel chapter 3? Just quickly, it says, verse 1, the boy Samuel did what? Ministered before the Lord under Eli. Now in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. But what did we see here? We had this, this boy who consecrated to the Lord, lived in the temple, was raised up in the way that he should go. He was raised up to do what it was to serve the Lord. And what did he do while he was there? The boy Samuel did what? What's the word say again? The boy Samuel did what? Ministered. That's right. Now let's jump down to verse 7. And this, is a, this just kind of kicked me good. And that's okay. Starts calling out to Samuel one night. and We realize that God, as Samuel's laying down, God starts calling out to Samuel one night, and Samuel didn't know who it was. And verse 7 says this, Now Samuel did not yet... What's those next three words? Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Not Microsoft, but know the Lord. There we go. Did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now, uh, really what this is getting at, and I want you to follow me just for a moment, really what this was saying is that Samuel, though he was a boy, I think sometimes our expectations for our children is often very low. I think our expectations for our teenagers is even lower. And I think expectations for adults are rock bottom because we have all the wrong expectations. Samuel, the boy Samuel, knew all about God. Knew all about God. Everybody say, about God. How many here would say, oh, I know about God? Oh, come on, show me your hand. How many here would say, I know about Jesus? I know about him. See, Samuel knew about the Lord, and he served what he knew. He ministered before the Lord in verse 1, the Lord, but he knew about the Lord. But here's the thing. Samuel knew about the Lord, but he did not know the Lord. There's a big difference there. He knew all about the Lord, but he did not know the Lord. I want to just look at something else here. Job chapter 42, verse 3 and 4, after he's gone through all of what he's gone through. He's, he's, he, he's been tested. He, he's had these horrendous medical things happen, emotional things happen, physical things happen, uh, and whatnot. He starts to question God, and he's angry at God, and God, how dare you, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and we get to the last chapter after God has answered him. In Job 42, 3 through 4, Job basically says, I spoke of things that I only knew about. I didn't really know. And he says in this, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have what? Seen you. My eyes 
have seen you. See, Job thought he knew God, but here's the thing. He only really knew about God. He served, he ministered, but he only knew man. I've only known about you. Not until Job 42, we find Job going, oh man, I've only known about you. Now, now, I know you. Now, I know you. Quickly, if you could, please, Philippians chapter 3. Let's look at one other person in the Word. I'm just trying to emphasize my point here today that the Lord is really, really speaking heavy to me. And I just want to share this. Philippians chapter 3, there in the New Testament, the letter to Philippi. Uh, As soon as you're there, let me just hear you say amen so I know you're there. Philippians 3, and we're going to start at verse 4 here. Now, we're dealing with Paul, the Apostle Paul. And for those of you who uh, aren't in the know completely, and that's okay, you'll get you in your word. Paul was a very religious man. Paul ministered before the Lord. How many hear me? Paul ministered. Paul served God. But watch what happened. Though I myself have such reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, here goes Paul. I was circumcised on the Hebrews of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church because he thought the church had it wrong. They were in error. They were, uh, they, they, they were in error against God. So he was fighting them. We look at Paul as this evil man who was killing the body, but I'm going to tell you what, in his mind, he was defending who? Did you follow what I just said? He was defending who? In his mind. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. But then we know what happened on that road to Emmaus. The light shined. Down on him, his eyes were blinded. He could not see, and then he hears the voice of Jesus. Saul, Saul, why is it that you persecute me? Why? Why? And I love what what Paul said here. Let's look in verse 7. You ready? Please take hold of this. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8. What is more? Here we go, everybody. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of what? Things. I consider them rubbish, thus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Folks, I, I just, I'm speaking to the body today because that's what I do. I need you all to encourage one another as a body. I also need you all. Now, I don't need you. We all are called to, as sheep, to go out and share truth. As a shepherd, I'm called to minister to the body. So please, don't miss this. Many of us still think that knowing all about the Bible and knowing all about the Bible stories 
and knowing all about uh, what God ha- has said to other people and knowing how God was served by your mom and dad and your grandma and your grandpa and knowing how God did this and did that in your life. Folks, I'm going to add this, knowing that God cured me of an uncurable disease as a two-month-old, knowing that God healed a brain that was, uh, uh, was just racked with damage at the age of nine, knowing that God did those things does, does not and did not mean that I knew God. Did. I knew about God. I knew what He did. I know what He does. But how many are guilty of this? And I'm about to pinpoint something pretty heavy here right now, okay? How many are guilty of thinking that God works in the lives of others, but somehow it just doesn't work out for you? Let me see your hand. Come on. Come on. Let's get honest. Many of us, we struggle to believe that God and all His promises work for who? We think they work for everybody else. And you know what? You know what that exposes and it exposes in me? That we don't know Him. Because if we knew Him, we would know it's as much for us as it is for anyone else. See, here's the thing. James chapter 2 says this, and I think we need to understand this. James writes, you believe there is one God. Good. Then he says, even the demons believe that and shudder. You know all about God. You've read your Bible, inward, outward, upward, downward. You know it all. Great, good. Even the demons do that. I've read the Bible through three times. How often have we looked at the Bible? I think I've shared before. A young man looked at me and said, I've read the Bible through three times. What else am I going to learn? The Bible, the the demons know the word and they what? Shudder. They shake in what? Fear. Because they know it's absolute what? Truth. Even the demons shudder. They know better. They have a better response than we do many times. We hear Scripture, we come to church, and we're like, oh, okay, I made it. We gather together Bible study. I've heard people say, well, I don't know if I, if, I, if, I, if I don't have anything else to do, I'll get to Bible study. When we place our children on the throne instead of our, our, our God and allow their activities to dictate where we are, our families... The demons have a better response than we do. They know it's true and they shake in their shoes. Now they hate it. They despise God, therefore they despise us. But it's not enough to know about God. It's not enough to know about His Word. I love what Jeremiah 9 says. Just grab this with me just for a moment. The Lord says, let not the wise man bask in his wisdom. Any smart people want to admit it? Come on, who's got an IQ over 130? Love to know you. All right, Pastor Jim is claiming that as his, part of his glorified body. His glorified body will be six foot three, 180, and an IQ of 210. There he is. He's happy with that. He's happy with that. I think you're good, Dad, just like you are. 
The Lord says, let not the wise man bask in his wisdom, nor the mighty man in his might, nor the rich man in his riches. Let them boast in this alone, that they truly know me. That's it. Nothing else matters but that you know him. Nothing, not know about him. We got a lot of people sitting in here today right now that know all about God. You've been to Sunday school. You've been to church. You know the name Jesus. Boy, we've been Jesused out in America. So much so that the word Christian doesn't even really mean anything anymore in America, does it? They mock it. Let them boast in this alone that they truly know me and understand that I'm a Lord of justice. He loves to be that way. Love is steadfast. And that he loves to be that way. Hmm. Let me just share this with you. John 17, verse 3. In fact, I'm going to challenge you right now just to open your Bible and underline this verse. Because this verse really needs to open our eyes. I've shared it before, but we need to see it again. John 17, verse 3. So get out your pen, your pencil, your highlighter. Or if you got it on your phone, I don't know what you do there, but save that verse. John 17, verse 3. Who's there? I don't want to make sure everybody's there. John 17, verse 3. Here we go. It says this. Now, this is eternal life. How many want eternal life? How many want to be saved and go to heaven? Come on now. Now, this is eternal life. How many want to experience the kingdom of God even now in this life? Now, this is eternal life. Remember, eternal life isn't just after you die. It's before you die, too. It's after you die to yourself. That's when eternal life begins. When you die to yourself is when you start eternal life. This is eternal life that they may what? Know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Born again. You know that is where eternal life, entering the kingdom of God, being born again, whatever words we want to say, save, salvation. When we come to know you, I'm going to tell you right now, and this may go and fly in the face of a lot of Baptists. That's okay. Altar calls are great. They're great. And a lot of great fruit has come out of altar calls. But there's a lot of people who have also responded to altar calls out of emotion and and, and, in tears and crying and get up to the altar and they get up to the altar and they pray a prayer because somebody led them through that prayer and then they get up and they go live a life that doesn't look a whole lot different than one they lived before, maybe for a couple weeks, but they believe at that point that they have eternal life. But here's the problem. They're not living a life that even shows that they know Jesus. They're not living a life that even shows that they know God. And according to the scripture, it says this is eternal life that they may know you. Folks, no prayer that you prayed saved you. There is no prayer of salvation in the Word of God. There is only coming into relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is through Jesus. No man comes to the Father but through Him. There are people in hell who go think they're saved and live in a hellion life and are going to hell. 
that's not good enough for me. And I'm not saying for me. That's not good enough for me for them. I want them to know, guys, God wants you to know Him. Not just say a prayer and somehow the deal was sealed. The Greek word for know, just so we understand for to know, is genosko. Genosko. To know, genosko. But that word means something deeper than just to know about. It means I get to know Dave because I interact with Dave. In fact, I'm going to step it up even more. I know their kids are in the house, so I'll talk in code. That same word is used to reflect what happens, a physical act between a husband and a wife. It's that intimate. To know God and Jesus Christ, His Son. See, here's the thing. Please don't miss this. Matthew chapter 7, 22 and 23. Don't miss this now, but this is why. This is why it says, Many will say to me on that day, And in your word, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? What did the boy Samuel do? What was he doing in the temple before he met God? Ministering. What was Job doing before he really knew God? Serving him. He was, getting, he was sacrificing for his kids. He was doing all those things. What was Paul doing before he really knew Jesus? He was defending who? So he thought. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And, and did we not drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Did we not go to church just about every Sunday? Did we not go to Bible study? Did we not open our Bibles in the morning and read our daily breads? Did we not do all the things we think look good, feel good, make us feel like we're doing it right? Did we not do those things? Jesus says, and I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. You did everything for me but get to know me. See, I'm talking to the church. You did everything for me but get to know me. How many here today, just be honest, how many here does that rock your world just a little bit? Just a little bit. Just rocks your thinking just a little bit. Yeah. But here's the beauty of our God. Our God is good in every situation. Our God is awesome in every situation. He is so faithful. He is so loving. He is, and He likes it that way. He likes to be that way. How many know that God's job description did not include have to cast people into hell. How many know that that was not in his job description? It only came about after man chose to do what he did and God had to come up with a plan. But guess what he came up with even before he had to set up the plan of what to do with these folks who refused him? He planned a Messiah. He planned a Savior. He planned a Redeemer. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. 
I really struggle when I hear, well, God, if God was such a good God, why does he throw people, you know, God was so good he wouldn't throw people in hell. I'm sorry. God does not desire to throw people into hell. Ever. But does he have to? Yes. We do. Yes, he does. Why? Because we did not know him. That's it. We didn't know him. But this is the good God we serve. Jeremiah 24 says this. Oh, I love this. He's speaking to his people. He says, I will give them a heart to know me. Uh, Okay, think about what he just said. Basically, he's saying, you got to know me, but guess who's going to do most of the work here? All the work. I'm going to do all the work. I'm going to give you a heart to know me. More theologically, some say the soul's here. It don't matter. He's going to give you a heart to know. Let me read this. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. You say, well, okay, how does this work? James 4.8. Here it goes. Come near to God, and he will what? Come near to you. That's what he says. Come near to God, or come near to you. Guys, don't just sit and think that it's okay because you said your prayer. Don't think it's okay because you read your paragraph in Daily Bread. Don't think it's okay because you made it to church two Sundays out of the month. Don't think it's okay. You've got to come near to God so that He can come near to you. He's not the one holding back. He's never moved. Here he is. Where are you? So Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, this is a verse oftentimes used in evangelistic circles to share with non-believers. The problem is this was written to the church. Who was this written to? What am I about to read? Was written to who? Raise your hand if you're part of the church then this is written to you. Here I am. I stand at the door and what? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Who's he telling that to? Church. God is tired of you just knowing about him. God is tired of us just playing. He wants you to know Him, and He wants to know you. So this is where it rolls in. 2 Corinthians 5.17 In Christ, we've heard it many times before. We've heard it many times that all that are in Christ are now a new what? Creation, new creature, however, whatever translation you want to read. The old has passed, the new has what? Come. But here's the thing. Please don't miss this. Who's still with me for the next couple minutes here? Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. The Passion Translation uses the word enfolded in Christ. Now, if anyone is enfolded in Christ, what do you do with yeast or whatever else when you, you need the bread? You basically, you're folding it into the, in, into the dough, aren't you? You're folding it in. 
I can't think of anything more intimate than getting folded into something, grafted, if you will, to something, becoming a part of something intimately. See, here's what that verse is saying. If anyone knows, if anyone knows, I'm waiting for you. If anyone knows, if anyone knows God through Christ, he has become a new creation. The old has passed. I like this. <laughs> Every. You can tell the difference between someone who... I'm going to tell you what right now. You can tell the difference between someone who knows Christ and knows about Christ. And I will tell you what that difference is. And it's not for us to walk around going, <gasps> no, their life is different. I didn't say perfect. Their life is different. Their life looks different. They respond not to the world, but to God. They respond not to what's going, the problem, but to the promise. Well, who's with me right now? Anybody? Anybody hearing this today? See, my, my, my concern is this is what the Lord lays on my heart. It's not even a concern. I don't care. This is what He laid on my heart. My thing is this. I know sometimes we even start to hear a message like this, and we're like, oh, heard it all before. Yikes. No, you haven't. I haven't. All that is old includes our old identity, our life of sin, the power of Satan, the religious works of trying to please God, our old relationship with the world, our old mindsets. Guys, we aren't just uh, uh, remodeled. We're not just refurbished. We are completely brand new when we know Jesus. This is my, my heart here today. I don't want us to be religious. I think far too often it's easy to want to say things that become catchphrases that sound churchy and Christian-y and spiritually and all that stuff. Don't want to hear that stuff today. We're people who have made a whole lot of errors in life. We are people who have sinned. And our destiny automatically is set for hell. And Jesus said, eternal life begins when we walk God, know Jesus. When we walk knowing Him. I simply want to ask you this. And I, I do. I want you to hear me. If I called you my best friend, but never, ever interacted with you, am I truly your best friend? If your spouse says, I do, and then never does, 
connect, love, be. Are they operating in a love relationship? If we say, Jesus, you are the only way, the truth and the life, I want to know you. And then I never interact with him. And I only talk about him when I sing a hymn or sing a worship song or when I hit my thumb with the hammer. Are we really in relationship with Him? Then why would we assume that we are saved? Why? I know that's heavy, but I'm going to tell you what. Salvation has, was begun and completed by my God. He simply says, know me. And then on top of that, He says, and I'm going to give you a heart to know me. I'm going to give you that heart. So start coming near to me, and guess what? I'll come near to you. The Word says, if you seek me with all of your heart, you will. Yes. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We don't want to know about you. We don't want to know about everything. We don't want to just act like we're serving you by doing uh, all sorts of tasks and e even evangelizing. Lord, if we don't know you, uh, great, somebody else might get saved, but where are we? Lord, my prayer today is that every one of us here come to the realization that, God, you want to know us, and you want us that we may begin walking out a true relationship that ushers us into the kingdom of heaven, eternal life. You know, today, I'm not even going to look. All eyes are closed. This is just you and God. Who says here right now, who says, hey, you know what? Jesus, I really want to know that I know you. <laughs> I want to know that I know you. The Word says in 1 John chapter 2, the way you know that you know Him is when you're obedient to Him and you walk a life uh, desiring to do what He wants to do in you. This is not a life of perfection. The perfection is because He lives in us, but that we just keep pressing in, that we keep saying, Jesus, I, I, I want to know you. I screwed up today, Jesus. I need you. Oh, Jesus, that blessing, thank you. Oh, Lord, keep making me like you. I want to look like you. I want to be like you. I want to act like you. Thank you. And I want to keep knowing you. Oh, I want to keep knowing you. So today, just sitting there, I, Jesus, I choose to come into a relationship with you today that I may know you and not just know about you. I don't want to feel good because I said a prayer. I want to be transformed because I'm in relationship with you. Oh, Lord Jesus, do it. We welcome you here.
We want to know you. We want to know you. Thank you. I'll tell you what. Here, I'll just talk about the altar here just a little bit ago, but I think the altar, the best thing for the altar is it's just a place where you can get alone with the Lord, but also allow the brothers and sisters to be standing with you. So if anybody feels so led, it is open up here. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer of salvation because you know what? Jesus is saying, say yes to me. I've forgiven you. Know me. Know me. Know me. I've given you a heart to know me. Know me. And then if you say, yes, I want to know him, let's pray through that together. Mm. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. We give you honor and we give you you. Lord, we give you glory. We give you honor and we give you praise today. Thank you for continuing to minister to your folks here, your people here, because you love them. For God so loved the world that he did give his only son, that whosoever believes, and that's active belief that says, I don't want to just know about, I want to know. We will not die. Mm. Jesus, you're good. And we praise your holy name. Thank you for changing us, transforming us, making us new. In Jesus' name I pray. Hallelujah. Because he first loved me. Well, let's stand again. Let's just sing. Oh, how I love Jesus. And he loves me too. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because He first. Jesus, we praise You, we honor You, we glorify You. Continue to draw us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.